0: Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel, and this is episode number 13. And yeah, I've been procrastinating over creating the podcast intro because today's podcast is with Doug Silsby, and Doug has had such a seminal impact in my life and in the flourishing of Coaches Rising. And some of you may or may not know that Doug has a rare form of cancer, which means that he's likely not long for this world. So I think I feel I feel some fear today, now, fear of will I be able to adequately articulate my love for Doug and everything he's brought me and coaches rising and coaching community and um, feeling the impermanence of life as well my own life and those of the loved ones around me um, and just kind of stuck with you know both wanting to honor Doug and and recognizing that he's still very much. On this earth right now. When myself and Lawrence first came across Doug's work, we both felt massive resonance with it. And we invited Doug to be part of our first Coaches Rising Summit about nine years ago now. And he actually turned us down. We were pretty disappointed about that. But on our next series, The Dynamics of Change, which some of you might remember... He agreed to take part. In fact, we got the name of that series from one of his books. Yeah, it was in one of our first coaching conversations with him that he gave his full support to what we were doing in the world. I remember that conversation. And that meant so much to us. You know, we were just two young guys full of idealism. And... um, yeah, you know, just to get the backing of um of an elder in that way just was so um supportive. And then, you know, over the years our friendship's grown and I've had the great fortune to be coached by Doug and um he's consistently been a teacher on coaches rising programs and you know, I think a few things stand out for me about Doug is is you know, his his warmth and generosity and and presence, you know. He, he's the author of presence-based coaching, and the creator of the presence-based coaching approach. And he really walks his talk. And out of all the coaches we've worked with, he's the one that I've most consistently seen create powerful openings and shifts with people, as he coached with them or or spoke with them And, and it's palpable, you see it something becomes possible that wasn't possible before for them and he does all of that without needing, you know, without it being an agenda needing to get anywhere, needing to be a great coach and I think that's pretty remarkable so I um just read over my notes before and um before the conversation you're about to hear and it said get off topic and I we didn't really get to do that in the way that I'd hoped. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like listen back to this conversation and it's beautiful, it's really a beautiful conversation. And I also feel regret, you know, at the end of this conversation I say, we're not done yet, Doug. We're not done. I know we're not done. We need to speak again because there's so many questions I wanted to ask him. And in particular, I wanted to talk to him about, you know, how he was, um, how his illness was, how it was, you know, how was this transforming him and changing him? And now, and now, um, it looks like we'll have to wait for another lifetime before we get to have that conversation. So it does leave me with a lesson, which is, you know, don't hold back from asking for what you really want. And, you know, seize, seize the moment. Whew. So, you know, for those of you listening who don't know Doug's work, he's, um, he's the author of The Mindful Coach and presence-based coaching and I can highly recommend those books if you're serious about supporting others to transform and in today's conversation we're going to explore the latest evolution of his work which is going to be covered in his upcoming book and Doug's articulated these nine pains which we can use as doorways into presence awareness and um, increasing wisdom and and skillful action. In today's conversation, we're going to explore three of those um, categories or domains. We're going to explore context, identity, and SOMA and how we might relate to those in our coaching. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation and that it inspires you to explore the work of Doug Sillsby more deeply. How are you doing, Doug? It's good to see you again.
1: Good to see you, Joel, mm. as always. Mm. another We have another moment together.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like I shared before when we were checking in, I can just feel my, uh, my, my heart kind of tender and, and alive. It's, it's been a while since we spoke and I know there's a lot going on in your life and I'm sure we'll touch into that today, but um, yeah, there's just a lot of love for you present right now.
1: Yeah. And uh, from me to you, in fact, uh, the whole universe is enabling this conversation to happen.
0: (laughs) I, 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 you know, just, just before we checked in, how long have we got? And we've got about 45 minutes. And I was like, well, that's, that's like, there's so much I want to talk to you about. And it just had me change the first question that I was going to ask you. So what I want to...
1: Yeah, script already, Joel.
0: <laughs> which always happens when we talk. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, what, what would you say to the Doug Sillsby that was starting out coaching you know, just beginning his coaching journey. I don't know how many years ago that was, but what what would you say to him now? What piece of advice or uh, wisdom would you share with him?
1: Oh, nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, that wasn't on the script you sent.
0: <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, uh, that question was not planned in any way, but it, it just came up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I would, um, I think there are these kind of archetypal questions that we play with in our retreats, And maybe those would be the things that I would ask. I think I would ask questions rather than giving advice, being a, a properly trained coach. I think I would uh, ask, well, starting out on this coaching thing, what is, it, what is it that you care about? What is it that it's important to you? What, what calls you about this? Mm. Who, who will benefit if you do this in the way that you want? Who will you become if you do this in the way you want? And having considered those questions, what do you know about yourself now? You know, I think when I was just starting off, I... Uh, I had this inkling. I had. Well, I guess I had an inkling that coaching was something I'd been doing for a while. I just didn't have a name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have somebody ask me those questions, ask uh, ask me questions that would help me clarify what it was that I thought I was doing, I think could have been strengthening or solidifying. You know, for, for a lot of things I've done in my life, I feel like I did on a wing and a prayer. And you know, I I said yes to something, and then I jumped in and I figured out how to do it. And it's generally it's worked out uh, um, astoundingly well. But I think maybe that has more with my basic trust in things than um, any particular unique capabilities and skills. But I think this piece about learning how to trust, learning how to, each of us is following a thread, Joel, and mm. sometimes that thread is really clear, and sometimes it's not so clear, and sometimes we can't explain to anybody else what that thread is, but there's some thread that, that we're all following, and to make that thread explicit and um, to know that we're following a thread, to be able to, Name it and say this is the thing that I'm doing, and here's why, and here's why it's important, and who benefits. You know that makes that thread a a stronger kind of guidance. Mm. That's what that's what comes up. I'm wondering if that's similar or different than the answer you were looking for.
0: Well, I had no idea what you were going to say. What comes up for me is this this kind of. Uh, balance between intentionality and surrender and those are the exactly the right words I'm not sure but you know in my own life I noticed that um, those are present and that you know yes it's powerful for me to think about who am I and what do I care about and what do I want and at the same time, you know, and to, to have intentionality around that. And at the same time, there's there's a sense of this thread that's being followed, and 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 I'm I'm not sure who's following that thread. You know, there's a sense of it unfolding, and um, things are happening. There is a sense of trust that everything will unfold in in just the perfect way, even if that perfect way involves all these challenges we face sometimes. And so I just noticed those poles that are there for me that are alive and, and how, but they each seem to have a shadow at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, well said. That sounds like a, a beautiful description of a polarity system. So, so we could say that intentionality is necessary and overrated and serendipity and our opportunism are also necessary and overrated you know if we go through our life just sort of uh trusting that the universe is gonna you know, uh it's gonna always provide um yeah well maybe it will but we're adrift and on the other hand if we're a planner and we create this vision and this mission and this purpose statement and and this five-year plan and everything is is uh uh, done in lockstep and articulated, and, and that was the prevailing wisdom about how organizations and teams and even individuals should, should plan their lives. Well, we preclude a lot of possibilities if we march lockstep to a plan and don't stay present with the evolving context around us. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, an Arabic saying that goes, trust in God, trust in Allah, but tie your camel up first. You know, yeah, we want to have a trust in the benevolence of the universe, and we are also and always responsible.
0: So to tie that into coaching, because I know that's, um, you know, one of the questions I had for you. Let me, let me bookmark that. Let me bookmark that. I want to invite uh, you to share maybe later about how you see those polarities working in coaching as a coach, you know, as someone who's helping someone work towards uh, a desired future and working with that kind of spontaneity and, and the, the present moment. But, um, you know, you've, you've got like an incredible body of work um, out there, which has had a huge influence on my coaching. And I'd love to get people, give people listening a sense of just a, a quick overview of of the presence based approach, uh, you know in previous interviews we 've done we've talked about that more extensively and and of course that will be that 's the fundament, fundament to a lot of your work so we 'll weave that in and out today but um, let 's start by saying why presence like your presence based coaching and presence based leadership why is presence important, and what is it?
1: Uh, my hesitation is that I could think of about <laughs> six different ways of answering that question from sort of what's the big arc of the work because the, the, the third book is coming out in uh, a few weeks. Um, the third book in a trilogy. And so, so one possible answer would be sort of the big arc of how that work has evolved over 15, 20 years now. Uh, another one would be in in an immediate coaching conversation, how and why is presence important and how does it show up? Um, I I could answer it in a lot of different ways. And I I don't mean to be circumspect here, but um, Yeah. yeah.
0: Would you like me to ask, you know, share which one I would go for first or do you want to just go for it? maybe like how it relates in the immediacy of coaching you know or the immediacy of our of our experience of ourselves in our lives
1: All right so so i could uh, there's a there are there are a lot of theoretical things that i could put there that i could say here but but let me just say that presence makes us smarter Presence makes us more available. Presence cuts through the delusions that our nervous system generates, the attachments and the stories and the narratives and the obfuscation and the filtering that our nervous system automatically produces because that's how it makes sense of the world and makes available a greater range of information and therefore, a greater range of possibilities. So from the standpoint of the coach, if you're coaching me, but you're not present, you're distracted by some other project, or you're all wrapped up in some story you have about me, as opposed to really being available and listening, you're not going to be the best possible coach for me. And so rightly, ICF has uh, made coaching presence, a core competency, one of the core competencies. I, I think it's important that they did that. Um, and so as coaches, we work to bring ourselves present, to settle our nervous systems, to be creative and available and free of attachments as we listen and reflect and we, we do the art. Uh, we do the art of coaching. But I, I think presence has to go further than that because if, if presence is a requirement for coaching, and I believe it is, then why would presence not also be a requirement for our clients? Hmm. You know, I think it's necessary, but insufficient for coaches to, to cultivate presence. I think it's also of crucial importance that as coaches, we learn how to support our clients and accessing their presence. So presence becomes not just a coaching competency, but a coaching outcome for the client. And what that means is instead of um, coaching clients, for example, around not interrupting people in meetings um, and helping them generate a variety of alternative behaviors, which in theory, they should be able to choose in that meeting. Instead, it means that we help them to develop the capacity to recognize, to be aware and present with themselves, and notice when they have the urge to interrupt before they've actually interrupted. So it creates a space. It's the space that Viktor Frankl talks about, the space between stimulus and response. And in that space lies our freedom. You only get that with presence, the present moment realization that I'm about to take some action that's irrevocable that will change the world in some way. And I have choice over whether to take that action or not. That's the fundamental power of presence. And when our clients begin to get that, it underpins everything else that they might be working on. Whether it's delegation or managing across Uh, uh, managing without influence or uh, leadership presence or uh, designing a new future or bringing two cultures together, all of those are enhanced by this, you know, what we call this meta-competency, this fundamental capacity for choice and resilience and seeing every moment as fresh. Hmm. And I think I was... You know, going back to the thread that we were talking about earlier, I think when I started coaching 20 years ago, I had some sense of this. Like I knew there was a thread there, but it was a, a thin one. Um, but it, that's the thread that I've been following throughout. And the more I pay attention to it, the more I learn about it, the more I learn from my coaching clients and my students the more strong and robust that thread becomes.
0: Hmm.
1: And so following it has changed me as well as changed the countless people that have been exposed to this work over the years.
0: Hmm. And I've heard you say that we can use presence to kind of um, disconnect regulate our nervous system when we find ourselves in, you know, in the kind of the challenging experiences we find ourselves in our lives, that we can regulate our nervous system and decouple our state from the, from the experience in a way. And and in that way, access a greater level of leadership.
1: Yeah. Because when we are not present, we're, we're caught up in it. When, we, when we're not present, we've lost the boundary between our inner state and the context around us. we become sort of inseparable from it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we can see this in a team of people where somebody comes in um, with all kinds of uh, fresh ideas, and six months or a year later, they're part of the group think that they were brought brought in to be a solution to, but now they 've become a part of the problem and it's not it 's not their fault it 's just that when you live and breathe and think and work with a group of people there's a tendency towards convergence because um, not always but generally there's a tendency towards convergence because um, it's more comfortable in some ways to think the same way and and create agreements but those agreements without the diverse voices and Diverse perspectives can uh, can lead to really dangerous situations, and so to maintain. And I have never been all sure that I could be very good at working inside an organization. I'm, i I I was great at coming into a system for three days or five days and and uh, uh, catalyzing new ways of seeing things and new change initiatives, but could I have worked inside that system for year after year and maintained the perspective I have as an outsider. I don't know. I think that's extraordinarily difficult.
0: A question comes up is how, you know, when you're working with a, a client, how are you helping them to uh, develop presence? Um, you know, I want to, I want to ask you about the certain, how do you create shifts in your coaching sessions and what some of the doorways are for you. And that may be a segue into your your new work as well around the the nine panes, which, you know, I think are beautiful doorways into, into shifts. And so, you know, you, we, you said before that, yeah, the, it's not enough just for the coach to cultivate presence. We've got to help our clients cultivate it too. How do you help them cultivate presence and those shifts?
1: Um, well, I don't know if this conversation is a place to go into the nine pains. I'm guessing not, but one of the things, one of the dis- key sets of distinctions that informs the nine pains, um, which is the really the, the core topic of, of this next book um, is this distinction of uh, context, identity, and Soma. And so context is the world around us, all the humans and our team and organization mm. and some complex situation that we're trying to, uh, Provide leadership in or our clients are trying to provide leadership in, and what we tend to do because of our training is we focus outside ourselves. We think, how can I intervene, or how can who, what levers can I pull and push in order to make happen the things that I want to make happen? But our view of the world is pretty much externally focused. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of what's going on, um, but it's also. Uh, it's myopic, and that it leaves out significant additional information. It's what we've been trained for. So identity is the level of our personality, who we imagine ourselves to be. And as a leader, or as a human being, as a husband, as a grandparent, and all these different roles in my life, I face, we all face situations that, we're not, that we've never faced before. And so we're not equipped to deal with them and couldn't be expected to be equipped to deal with them. And yet some overachiever part of us thinks, Hey, I ought to be good at this. You know, I've been good at all these other things in my life. I ought to be good at this thing too. And so we have a personal stake in success, but that personal drive and the the level at which we are attached to success in this situation actually keeps us from seeing the situation as it is and leads us to see the situation as a threat or an opportunity for our ego. And so without being conscious of this, we are interpreting the complex context around us as either potentially food for our ego or an existential threat for our ego. Mm -hmm. And we respond accordingly. That's why we get defensive when we get, uh, um, when we get negative feedback. That's why we get all excited when an email comes in with a, a business opportunity, because our ego is responding and we think that it's about what's going on out there, but really another level of this complex system is how uh, is our identity taking in and interpreting and responding to the things going on around us because it will and our identity or our ego will take actions to perpetuate itself that may or may not be for the best.
0: Mm. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. So, so, you know, as a leader, or somebody you're working with, they're in a situation that's, you know, maybe stretching them developmentally and, and then, you know, that creates this kind of uh, reaction or this, this grab, you know, and, and, um, and so in a coaching session, you're, you're connect, you're helping them to start to see how their identity is up in that situation. You know, some things at stake and yeah. yeah.
1: Helping them see how their identity is up and how their identity is either being, um, evoked by the situation, you know, or expanded, uh, um, yeah like an addict responds to uh, to the the, uh, the object of their addiction or threatened, but either either direction there's going to be an identity based action that results that may or may not be what's actually called for in the situation
0: how what kind of <clears throat> I know this is hard to answer in a way, but what kind of questions would you ask somebody to help them begin to make that connection or or be able to see what's up for them, what's important for them.
1: Yeah. I, I would ask questions like, what's at stake for you in this situation? Yeah. I would say, if, if this doesn't go successfully, what's on the line for you? If this project doesn't succeed, what does that say about you?
0: And then you mentioned SOMA as well.
1: Yeah. So, so the third level. So, so we can see that a sitting around a table in a group meeting that there's a collective context, but that context is made up of subsystems, and those subsystems are identities, individual personalities, and group dynamics is all about how individual identities interact to form some sort of uh, culture or some sort of group dynamic. So you're looking at two levels of the system. And what, what, what I'm suggesting in this book is that there's a third level of the system that we can't omit if we're going to really understand how a complex system is working. We can't just look at the complex system out there and exclude the personality dynamics that each of us brings to the table that affect what's going on around us. But neither can we exclude the intrapersonal dynamics, The way our conditioning and our habits and our belief systems and our physiology are self-organizing moment by moment in order to protect and defend that identity. And so my body is an exquisitely designed machine endowed with consciousness and intelligence and the belief that it has choice And it's self-organizing moment by moment, even in this conversation that you and I are having right now, Joel, Mm. to defend and perpetuate a certain kind of identity. So I get we're having this conversation in the service to the people who will be watching. And I also get that it feels good to be in this role talking about something I care about to people I don't even know. So there's some way that this is taking care of my soul. It gives my body energy. There's mm-hmm. a sense of peacefulness and contentment. Yeah. And that is also part of the complex system that shows up via my identity in a conversation with you in an extended complex system that includes all of coaching, Coaches Rising's activities and this podcast in particular. So we start to see this multi-layered system. Every complex context made up of human beings affects the human beings within it. But those human beings and their identities within it also affect that complex context. And the soma, the interiority, the psychobiology, if you will, of each individual self-organizes to produce and defend the identity that shows up that influences the system.
0: So these holarchies, you know, these kind of systems within systems within systems that are impacting each other. And presumably then, you know, for that, for the summer, you would ask a client questions like, what are you feeling in your body right now? Or what's your felt experience, things like that, that point them towards sensation and things like that.
1: Yeah. And so, so I might ask if, 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 It's my sense that in this coaching conversation, it will be helpful to have all three parts of the system represented. Maybe we would talk for a little while about the situation they're facing, but I'm always looking for opportunities to bring immediacy and presence into the conversation. So I might ask a question like one of the ones from earlier. So if this project doesn't go well, who will you be? Which goes to identity. And then when they respond to that, then I might say, when you say you don't know who you would be, where do you feel that in your body? And the person might say, I feel sadness. They might feel an emptiness in my stomach. There might be some kind of emotion. There might be some kind of a story. But what we would be doing then is paying attention in the moment to how this Soma, this body is self-organizing in response to the possibility of failure. Mm. Because until they can look at that, until they can recognize that that's part of what's going on in the situation, they will be acting to avoid that possibility of failure, but completely unconsciously. And that may lead them to lash out or, um, take short-term actions that avoid an immediate possibility of failure, but actually kick problems downstream. Um, you know, we see that all the time. Mm.
0: In a way that they're, they're bringing what was unconscious or unseen into their awareness. And then, um, you know, then there's a reorganization taking place in some way or they can, they're getting more choice. At least they, they can see their habituated response.
1: Yeah, um, we did an intro introduction, we do an introduction of presence-based coaching call for people interested in our training program. We did one uh, uh, yesterday, and Bibi did a lovely coaching demonstration with this um, beautiful man in India who was working with a particular habit that was, uh, that was challenging for him. And, um, and she asked him about a recent situation where that, that behavior had come up. And, uh, and he was able to really stay present and talk about what it felt like in his body. And, um, and it shifted. And as he was present in his body, his state became much more resourceful. And he became very clear about what he needed to do in the situation. He had not been able to think it through. Yeah. Even though he knew he needed to change this thing. But when he was able to drop into his body, there was a reorganization that took place, and he became settled and clear, and uh, and in fact very eager to take this action that he had been avoiding for weeks. It was remarkable. Yeah, and so part of the coaching work with presence is to begin to, and this is where this is where presence as an outcome comes in, is to support our clients in being able to first recognize they have an internal state, and then, as you said earlier, to begin to regulate that and and produce a congruence, an internal congruence with the things that they care about most so that they are internally aligned and not in some sort of a a, a conflict. And then the actions that they are predisposed to take will be actions that are aligned with what they care about. Not by accident, but because that's simply how it works. So we, part, of, part of the promise of, of this work that we do is, uh, is, is long-term, physiologically supported behavioral change. And that, be, that physiologically supported piece means that the changes that we want to make in the world are not just a good idea, but that the, the internal somatic congruence, our psychobiology has been brought into alignment with that thing that we want. And so then it becomes the natural course of action.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying here. I mean, I, that's the thing that I've found incredibly powerful about being coached by you and, and this work is that, you know, there's often, um, we have this sense of, being agitated or or habituated uh, around a topic which almost takes away from our capacity to act skillfully or intelligently or see clearly and you know just asking the kinds of questions that you're you're talking about in those categories around identity and somewhere in context I love this word alignment because you can feel when people start to come into alignment again you know it's palpable it's like it's like and, 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 and naturally what comes online is just, okay, I feel resourced now. I know, I know what the next step is.
1: Right. You know,
0: I know what to do. And, and so that's so powerful about this work because a lot of coaches, um, even though I don't think, you know, they're not tending to do this. I think they often are like, there's a sort of giving answers, you know, to clients. And in this well, you're fundamentally not doing that. You're resourcing the client to do that for themselves.
1: Right. So this comes back to coaching presence because I'm, I'm um, somebody who is perfectly capable of uh, giving answers to clients falling into that teacher mode. And yeah, uh,
0: me too. <laughs> sort
1: of like, yeah. It's sort of like uh uh, you know, that's, you're not supposed to do that in coaching. It kind of goes against the ICF ethics. And um, and I, I get that. And I, I can manage my temptations to do that most of the time. And I also have this, some insecurity about being smart enough. Uh, I suffer from the imposter syndrome. Um, mm. I actually claim that anybody who doesn't suffer from the imposter syndrome isn't paying close enough attention. But, uh, <laughs> um, but. I can slip over into that teaching mode, which isn't usually the best thing for the client, but that's my psychobiology hijacking my identity and organizing the conversation in a way that I get to feel smart instead of organizing the conversation for the client's learning and the client's benefit. And if I'm internally aware of how my soma is beginning to wind up to move into this teaching mode, then I can intervene with that But if I'm not aware, it's going to hijack me and it's going to hijack the session.
0: Yeah. Could you say something about realization? Um, As a, you know, I I heard in last year's Art of Developmental Coaching, you were talking about the idea of of, uh, somebody having a realization. I wonder if you could just say what you mean by that and how I feel like it connects to where we are in our conversation.
1: Sure. So we have this uh, metaphor that we use a lot of the bell jar and that we we go through life in a particular bell jar and the bell jar is how we construct our worlds it includes what we what we're familiar with and what we know our habits what we've been trained to see um, and the downside of the the, uh, the good news about the bell jar is it's pretty comfortable and it's pretty known and the the bad news about the bell jar is that um uh it excludes a lot. We just don't have available to us much of what is uh, actually out there in reality, and so realization is the the felt experience of waking up to this greater reality. It it can be spiritual, but it doesn't at all have to be spiritual. Um, I had a. Uh, a great moment of realization and a backpacking trip in the North Georgia mountains in 1977. And I ran an outdoor program for kids, but it was mostly about skills. And in this educator's seminar, uh, run by some people who later became friends. Um, uh, we, we were having a decision by a Creek about whether to go up the Creek or down the Creek. And I said something that was a little wise ass. And I got some feedback that, um, I felt like I was, uh, Setting the group up to to uh, tell them, um, uh, I told you so later, and I realized she was right. I had never gotten a recognizable piece of feedback before that actually named something for me that I was not conscious to, and it was like a jolt of energy. It was, oh, I did that. I that's not something I wanted to do, and I had taken an action justified it in my own mind, done this whole thing automatically. And then somebody gave me a piece of feedback that revealed how they experienced my behavior, which was, I'd never thought about it. And so the realization was this startled recognition that wasn't just an idea, but a felt experience that the world was different and more complex than I had thought. And to my credit, even though what I did in the group was unskillful, to my credit, I could see that feedback was actually a really useful thing. And then that realization went on to, oh, this outdoor education stuff can be really about developing the person and not just learning how to rock climb or cave or whitewater. So there's a whole series of realizations that followed from that. Mm -hmm. So the realization in a coaching conversation is that moment in which people recognize in an embodied holistic way that there are possibilities available that they never saw before mm. it 's an opening it 's an expansion, but not just cognitive it really includes the entire nervous system when those realizations happen, I often encourage clients to to take uh, to take a minute or a couple minutes to just sit with it, sit with that realization and allow it to take root in the body. Rick Hansen talks about taking in the good. That In that moment, there is a, the beginnings of a process of rewiring in the nervous system. The hippocampus recognizes from the emotional valence of this state that this is important. And telegraphs those conditions out to every corner of our neural universe saying, remember this. Mm. And the neurons associated with that realization become a little bit more predisposed to seek each other out and to fire together. Sometimes this can be transformational. Sometimes this is something that takes practice over a long period of time. But that is the felt experience of neuroplastic change comes through realization and directing attention into that realization and allowing
0: it to take root in the nervous system mm. beautiful um, and then presumably, like you said, that takes root over time through through certain practices that people can take on to fully embody and ripen into that that realization?
1: Yes. I mean, people like to say embodiment takes 10,000 repetitions or 3,000 repetitions. I don't think anybody can put a number on it. I think when to build flexibility and resilience through somatic practices takes a lot of, a lot of repetition. It takes um, cultivating a state and embodying that state over and over and over again. And there are other realizations that happen in a heartbeat. Like when I decided to write the first book, um, somebody said in a retreat, Doug, this model should be a book. And I went, hmm, that's interesting. And uh, Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock when the retreat was over, I went to my office and sat down. And uh, uh, 10 minutes later on my laptop, I had a table of contents. And I looked at it. And, Joel, in that moment, I knew I was going to write this book. Yeah. And I I had never thought of myself as an author, had never thought of writing a book, fundamentally doubted whether I knew enough to write a book. And in 10 minutes, when I saw the table of context, it was like, it was a done deal. I was an author. I had no idea what that meant. I I had no idea that I would start a publishing company and it would be a project management thing. and all the doubts I would have to fail. I mean, I don't mean, I don't want to imply that it was a piece of cake because it was really hard. But in that moment...
0: Something changed, yeah.
1: Something fundamentally changed and it it never wavered. I knew I was going to come out with, I was going to write The Mindful Coach. And a year later, there was a book. And so the realization was not a detailed plan or even a realistic notion of what would be entailed. But there was lots of identity work and there was a lot of stuff between the realization and the book. And it was, there was a hundred percent certainty I was going to do it.
0: I'm I'm glad you're sharing this because, you know, we hear a lot about how change is hard or, or, um, it's about the behavioral change. It's, it's hard work or it's about practice and it takes time. And and I think there's a truth to all those things. And I think sometimes that doesn't include this perspective of like, there are some realizations that just fundamentally change something. And yes, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be smooth sailing along the way, but something has shifted. You've seen something and there's no going back.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think that there are two contrary and perilous narratives here. I think it's a perilous narrative that changes hard. Well, yeah, it can be. But sometimes we repeat the mantra over and over again that changes hard, and that's a, a great way of uh, not changing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we invest in the story that changes hard. And so, of course, we can't change. Of course, I can repeat the same um same stupid habit over and over again that keeps making mischief and making my life difficult. Um, it's hard. Well, there's a story, but then there's another story that says um, if you can, if you can, uh, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Change is easy. You know, just do these, take these seven steps or flick your fingers or take uh blue green algae or whatever it is. And change is going to be easy. Well, Sometimes, but that's also a toxic narrative because if we believe that change is easy and we are not, we don't find ourselves able to change easily, then we become deficit. Mm. And so sometimes change feels easy and sometimes change feels difficult, but it's our relationship with change that becomes the object of interest. It's not that there is some truism about change that it's one or the other. And I think we, we, we reify those narratives at our peril.
0: Hmm. I'm aware of the time and I know you've got something on now and I just feel like we're not finished. (laughs) It's like, I'm just sure of it. So of course we're going to have to come to a close now, but I'm, really hoping you're open to at some point in the next weeks, you know, I don't know when that defined period will be, but to to join me again.
1: Sure. I always like talking to you.
0: Yeah. I just have this feeling like we're, I've, I'm well, yeah, we're not done right now. Okay. So I think I'm going to leave it at that.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's good.
0: Yeah, I think we covered a lot of really rich territory there. Um, But I do have that strong feeling of like, yeah, there's another hour to go at least. So,
1: Okay. Wonderful.
0: And it's another excuse for us to hang out.
1: It's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah, take care.
0: Yeah, you too. Yeah, lots of love, yeah?
1: Yeah, thanks, Joel. You too.
0: All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hi, It's Joel here. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Doug and due to his illness he won't be on the faculty of the Art of Developmental Coaching this year but instead um, Bibi Hansen from Presence Based Coaching and, and Carolyn Cochran will be leading live interactive sessions on this work around the nine pains. Plus we will be releasing Doug's Recorded sessions. There's four of them, 90 minutes long each from last year, where he shares this work, does coaching demos around it. It was really beautiful stuff. So, what is the art of developmental coaching? Well, it's about a very specific type of coaching which goes beneath the surface of your clients goals, and frustrations into a domain of genuine transformation. It goes beneath the surface level of the content into the deep structure and identity of your client and the way they see the world. So you can help them make what's invisible to them visible. And it it activates this developmental growth, which um, leads p- people away from their dilemmas and frustrations towards the deep changes that truly matter to them. The training is fully ICF accredited and it features a truly world class faculty people like Robert Keegan, Jennifer Garvey Berger, Suzanne Greuter, Bob Anderson, Rob McNamara, really fantastic teachers, and it's all online via video conference meaning you can join from anywhere in the world registration is now open for the 2018 program which kicks off on march the 1st so if you want to know more you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching that's coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching